We are live. Hello and welcome to another episode of Atomics' Founder Hacks podcast, uh, where we share real stories, real founders um, that we've heard uh, in the form of something we've seen, something we've read, and something we've learned. As ever, I am joined by the delicious Mr. Alex Moore. Oh, delicious today, am I? Hello, Ben. (laughs) And the delectable Anthony Enright. Good afternoon. (laughs) Good afternoon to you both. So without further ado, um, let's jump straight in. And we start off with something we've seen. Uh, So a real story from from a founder that we're working with that's uh, that's inspired us all, all. given us something that we feel we can we can debate and discuss. So I think it's over to you, Mr. Moore, to, to kick us off. Thanks, Ben. Yeah, so our scene this week is uh, a, a, it's related to a business all three of us are connected to, actually. And it's uh, a, little, a little tale of the, the power of staying calm. And um, it's really a situation quite, quite stressful over there at the moment without going into too many details. <laughs> and, you know, there's a lot going on. The business is going through rapid growth. The pressure is on and, the, you know, the pressure is sitting on, you know, uh, you know, a few people's shoulders and it is weighing heavily. So, you know, something went a bit wrong and, you know, we just had the choice to express anger or not to, to one of our colleagues. And I think, you know, we've learned that by staying calm in this instance, you know, it it was the right thing to do because the person in question ended up solving the problem himself. If if I'd gone ahead and, you know, we'd lost a rag in this instance, it wouldn't have worked at all. And so when we were discussing our topic for this week, we thought this would be a good one to debate between us because as a founder, I guess, when do you stay calm? And, you know, is there certain points where you do have to to shout. In this instance, it was the right thing to do. Is it always the right thing to do? I don't know. I'm reminded of another one of my favorite stories, which I recount quite a lot about uh, somebody in the restaurant in- industry who uh, who told me this. And he was uh, getting grilled by a bunch of private equity uh, people in the room. He was the, he was the founder of the business, and they were just having him just giving him a absolute dressing down. When's this going to happen? Why doesn't this happen? And he made the conscious decision, and this is this is a, the sort of thing I want to throw out to you two at the end of this little spiel. He made the constant constant decision to lose his rag. He made a very sort of graphic. He got these keys out for all the restaurants, and he shoved them down in the middle of the table and went, "You run it." And I think he said a swear word, but we'll get banned <laughs> on Apple if I if I. Uh, if this I is true. That. Thank you. I appreciate <laughs> so that, I Alex. Thank he you. said, "Bum." He said, "Oh, bum," and he threw. <laughs> He threw the keys down and then he ran out. He walked out, went out and went to the loo and just just waited a bit. He came back into the room after having lost his, decided to lose his temper. And this is what I want to come back to. And the atmosphere was completely changed. So, you know, what I want to throw out to you two guys is, you know, when, you know, do you always try and stay calm? You're like the monk-like thing of being a founder and you have to be the one, the 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 one, the, the leader, the one everyone... You feel like you need to be the person that people look up to. And should you always stay calm or is it OK to lose your rag sometimes and absolutely shout at somebody and swear and lose your rag? In this instance, the one that we saw, the power of staying calm this week, it worked to stay calm. 
but I'll throw mm. it back to you two. Is that always the right way to be? Um, who would like to answer first? I think it's a, it's, a, it's a great, great question. And I'm happy to go first in terms of how that impacts on me. And I think the absolute key of what you shared there was this thing of respond rather than um, react or, or, or be driven to. Is there a level of choice in there? I guess we have to say there is a point at which there's a line that one does not cross in terms of uh, abusing someone or, or, or swearing at someone or shouting at them. Um, you know, there's, there's, there's laws about this stuff, you know what I mean? So I think yeah. it's, it's all a nod to that. I think where I take it to perhaps is a level of authenticity of emotion. And I'd, I'd also say an adage that I can't remember where I picked it up even, but it's very difficult to vent an emotion whilst expressing it so if we're trying to let somebody know that we are angry it, it can be far more impactful to express it rather than vent it so while you're feeling angry perhaps isn't the time to tell somebody that you're angry mm. um, so I think there's, there's a question there for me as well because I think anger is, is always quite a difficult um, emotion in the workplace I think to completely suppress it is inauthentic, but I think to be choiceful about it and to express it, I think is probably okay. That said, I think if I think about my own learning over the years, I probably avoid anger. I think I think I prefer the sort of that calm model of leadership. And, and somebody um, said to us just this week, actually, didn't they, that um, it's sort of that model of statesman-like or statesperson-like leadership is something to to look up to and, and perhaps mm. something to emulate. So I think it's, it's a really interesting question. Um, and I think perhaps the key to it is that choice that you, you mentioned, Alex. Um, well, how about you, Anthony? Let's bring you in. It's a really tricky one for me because, you know, my first professional experience is working in the boiler room of IT recruitment, right? And that there was a very particular style to that which would have been lots of shouting lots of roaring and not always a very nice environment to be in um, so I was definitely um, affected by that as I went through my sort of business journey um, and ultimately I think where you can remove the emotion right Ben, to your point, where you can remove the emotion and then you can look at something in an objective view, situation plus reaction equals outcome is something that I always Ooh, I go love to. That one. It's all, I always I love go that to it one. now. And because ultimately you've got a situation, what do you want the outcome to be and react accordingly based on your knowledge and experience of similar situations in the past? And that's, that's thankfully where I go to now. I have to say in the past, it wouldn't be. In the past with, you know, where somebody has made a huge mistake, very hard when there's a lot of emotion, when you're emotionally brought into that business, when you are running that business, when you're under pressure um, and you maybe have asked somebody to, you know, you've been explicit about, you know, not making that mistake or explicit in the way to go about it. And people haven't necessarily followed that. And then the mistake that you expected happens. And yeah, I would have lost my rag. Um, 
I would, you're I would, you're getting calmer with old age. Definitely, Mr. definitely right? getting calmer. <laughs> definitely getting calmer. Um, you, you never want to. I mean, I, I never swore in the um, in the business environment. I never believe I made it personal. But there's definitely that exacerbation, you know, of um, where you're just so annoyed that something has happened and very hard to control my emotions at that point. I mean, perhaps that'd be the one thing I'd pick up on with that point just before we lose it is i i completely love this idea of of um situation plus reaction equals outcome um i think the thing i do sometimes struggle with is take the emotion out uh, and particularly working alongside you anthony uh, and you alex i think you're both people who i've always really appreciated actually do bring a lot of emotion into your work so i just wanted to throw that in there before you carried on because <laughs> I, I hear you say that quite a lot, but I always go, but you don't. You do. Yeah. You, you, but we don't you shout at each other. We don't shout at each other. We don't shout. No. But that's not to say <laughs> when we say take the emotion yeah. out, it's. I suppose what I mean is is, is is ensuring that it doesn't come across negatively. You know, where somebody's dropped the ball and where you're, you know, where you're angry or annoyed about something. It's 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 being in a position where you can articulate your frustration, and I think. Um, Ben, something that you said not that long ago, which is describe the emotion, don't show the emotion. Mm. Um, because for me personally, I think, you know, when you're feeling that emotion about something, it's, it's a concern that it will spill over, mm. right? And, you, and um, we're in a professional environment here. So I'm not sure I've answered your question, but it's a balance. I think there's a balancing act to be had mm. in having the right level of emotion because people, right, if we go to the real depths of it, is we all make decisions based on emotion and justify with logic. Yeah. The limbic part really of the brain, true. right? We know that. Scientists have proven that. Mm. So I'm going to contradict myself and say, you know, you're never going to take all of the emotion out of the situation. But I guess it's about controlling the emotion at times. That's, to me, the key, the control. Choose, I found in business, choose when to lose my rag. And it's a strategic decision. It's not thrust upon it. Don't suddenly uh, lost it. I'm like, I'm going to get cross because this is the best thing to get this, get my message through. And I'm going to choose to be angry. So uh, that's, how, that's how it's worked for me in the past. And that's why I like that story of slamming the keys down the table. Because I don't actually think that by staying calm, that guy would have changed the situation in that room. But um, there you have it. No right or wrong or answer, huh? Or maybe... Yeah, I mean, I think I, why this is perhaps a good one for us to discuss because I don't think there is a one way fits all, and I think it's also very situational. Well, it's very individual. So I think you know some people are perhaps more able to work with that range of emotion. Others, others less so. There's there's a personal style thing in there, right? As, as well, I think for some um, leaders, it's doubtless it would be really incongruous for them to. To, to shout and scream it wouldn't fit with the rest of their style and, and how they are in the world and they wouldn't feel good doing it so i don't think we'd ever sort of prescribe that you you, you should do something if it's not authentically yeah, i mean it's just the last point i guess maybe on the steve jobs he's famous for being really horrible and shouting at people wasn't he mm. <laughs> you know it's quite interesting but i i always thought it was a bit naff when i heard those stories about him so uh anyway yes shall we move on gentlemen anyway Yes, let's. So next up, I think we've got a, a something that we've read this week that's uh, inspired some thought. And I think it's Anthony who's going to talk us through. Thank you, uh, Ben. 
So this week Tesco's have, uh, or was it at the end of last week, Tesco's have been back in the news and, and obviously supermarkets have had um, phenomenal trading over the, over the past uh, few weeks. And, um, but apparently there's now a price war. So that we've got a price war between the, the, what some would describe as the lower end or certainly the lower priced uh, supermarkets and, and Tesco. So Tesco are up against Lidl and Audi. And in order to cope with the pressure they're under on pricing, um, they're asking their suppliers to cut costs and cut, cut margins and cut prices. And it's actually in, not, in one of the articles that I read, they've actually asked their suppliers to cut their costs by 50%. And wow. I just thought, wow, you know, how do you cope with that, right, as a founder? And I remember um, working, through the, um, working through the global um, financial crisis in 2008. And during that time, I'd had a, a in the run up to that, I'd had a customer that was always around 30, 35 percent of our book, of our revenue. Um, but we got on great with them. We did a great job. There was a real synergy and it really worked. And then during that, uh, the financial crisis, um, whilst other customers and other people were no longer looking for recruitment services, they continued and we there was a lot of loyalty between us and we continued to work with them. And by the end of it, their concentration had almost doubled. It was all, you know, it was beyond 60%. And when they sort of came to us and started talking about cuss cutting exercises, you know, it really hurt. It was really painful. Mm. And, but I think, you know, nobody ever wants to get concentration levels up to that sort of point where you're so reliant on one customer. But it was the global financial crisis, right? It's you took the business where it was, where mm. you could get it from, and you delivered. What's the collective wisdom on you know one one customer? Twenty twenty percent, I've read. No one customer should be more than twenty percent. Have you read that something like that? Yeah, certainly. I think even when they were at thirty percent, mm. it was feeling slightly uncomfortable. So I'd always love to see twenty twenty five percent. Yeah. And I guess it also depends what the others are made up. If you've got four at 25%, is that different to having one at 25% and then a Good collection point. of, say, 10 others at 7.5%? Because mm. um, it's all about the risk, right, um, yeah. that's created. And as a fact, you know, you can't have the luxury of doing anything about it sometimes as well. It's like, that's just how it is. You can't say, mm. oh, sorry, I, I have to do less business with you because you've gone over my 25% threshold. Um, it's very hard to do anything about it sometimes, but I know, you know, the ideal world and, you know, business books, what they say and what you can actually do is very different. So, so it brought up two questions for me. The one, the first is, you know, when you get to that, that, that sort of level, you know, and, and to your point, Alex, is what level do you get to where you, you say we can no longer do more business with this? You know, it's too risky. But also the other question is, when do you say no? When do you just turn around and how often do you say no to business? You know, business that isn't suitable, but it's, it's revenue, it's, it's there, you want to take it. So it kind of brought that question up for me is that, you know, being a founder um, and running a business, I've always found it incredibly hard to say no, right, and turn business away because it's all revenue, right? Um, but we know that by taking on the wrong business can cause you so many issues and problems as you progress. 
Um, so I just wondered what your sort of experiences were around A, concentration levels, and then B, you know, when do you say no? Well, I'm reminded straight away of, of a couple of things, really, that, that I've always had in the back of my mind, and, and I can completely empathise with it. You know, I too had a, a business that was, uh, for quite some time, very uh, highly concentrated on, on one client, similar sorts of levels, and particularly, again, through the, fi- through the financial crisis. And I think where I was used to go back to, remembering actually going through successive years of looking at that number going up and going, oh dear, is this a problem? And being delighted that it was increasing revenue. I think the thing that I always fell back on was do your maths, which is a funny a funny one, but actually it's surprisingly impactful with a, a number of founders that I've, I've shared it with. Do your maths. I think I know a lot of people who have ended up running businesses where they haven't done their maths. So the truth is they don't know if it's good. It's a good mantra. Because they've not actually looked at, it's a good mantra, right? Do your maths. So there is something about knowing your business well enough to know what is good business and what is not. And I think that's what preserved us through it when we had that situation was just this relentless focus on understanding the business and really understanding the cost model from, from that one pound of revenue at one end to, you know, 20p of profit 10p of profit or at least 1p of profit out the other end and just making sure it wasn't it wasn't minus 1p of profit out the other end because that's when it becomes really bad business so i'd certainly say there's that call to really understand your business mathematically the other thing that always comes up for me of course is sales of vanity can't we finish the sales of vanity profit is sanity <laughs> and cash is king so and and again i think we it's one of those things that you sort of perhaps hear along your journey and and the further you go into it, the more you realise the truth behind it, the surprisingly subtle and clever truth behind it um, in terms of what you should be paying attention to. So a, yeah, a really interesting I, one. I remember when I was um, running my digital marketing business in Hong Kong, um, somebody said to me once, oh, when you have a startup, you've got to say yes to everything because you just need to. And the, the real art is it gets to a certain point and then you've got the art of then learning when to say no because not so much the not so much the problem with 25 20 or 25% it's more of the problem of doing the wrong thing and not focusing on the core business your raison d'être or whatever it's it you can go down certain i found go down rabbit holes but a client asks you to do something you're not really doing but you want to please them or you need the money and I thought that's that's always stuck in my head say yes to everything when you're a startup and then it's just Mm. at the right point say no when to start saying no and uh, that stuck in my head Mm. so yeah that was my little share to add to Anthony's uh, opener Mm. I I think the other perspective on this that would be interesting to comment on of course is okay so we're hearing a story here about a bunch of businesses, possibly many of whom are highly concentrated on Tesco's, cutting costs by 50%. I mean, you know, you, you sort of look on the face of that and you just go, that's an impossibility. But what's your experience being with, with that sort of challenge when it comes along? Have either of you guys had experience in that? Yeah, certainly within the recruitment sector. You know, um, when I was heavily, in, you know, heavily involved in that sector, working with the trade body, etc., we we went to um, the office of National Statistics and asked them, um, you know, how many recruitment companies are in the UK, 
and they couldn't really answer it. <laughs> they said there was between eight and uh, 12,000 um, organisations or recruitment organisations within the UK and potentially another 8,000 one-man bands, right? So when you look at mm. the competition that's out there, unless you have a clear differentiator, unless you have a clear USP, what are you ever going to be judged on? You're going to be judged on price. And so we were continually being asked to cut costs, continually being asked to, certainly with new business, you know, to, to cut our costs. So it was always about, and I think this, the whole sort of question comes full circle for me to say, how do you differentiate your proposition? You know, what is, what is the need that you are fulfilling within the marketplace? And how are you differentiating your offering to that need in comparison to your competitors, right? So what are you doing differently? How are you servicing that need differently to your competitors? Because that's when you can look at quality and service and, and price is less of an issue because you're differentiating that. So, so for me, it took quite a long time to really look at our differentiator and our brand promise within the organization to be able to turn around and say, this is why, this is the need we're fulfilling and this is how we're different. So we did it in other ways. So we had an, an excellent retention rate for people that we placed on permanent basis. So we offered a guarantee, a warranty for two years over the people that we placed because we were that confident in our, in our ability to place the right people. But actually, what do you do in order to make that decision? You look at your data, you do your maths, and you can see that you, you haven't, no, any permanent placement that we'd made in the previous two years, nobody had left. So we, we had the data to back up that confidence. So it's about providing solutions in other ways rather than just cutting, cutting the price, but also really concentrating on how do you differentiate. And when people ask for those cut, cutting costs, I'm sorry, this is, I'm sorry. <laughs> You have the choice to say no. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, my, my, my sort of closing point on this is, you know, I feel just feel sorry for the suppliers. I don't like, you know, Tesco's is huge. I heard they pay their suppliers really late and stuff like that. You know, a lot of these guys, you are at the mercy of this huge corporation that spits out all these profits. And I don't know, it feels like bullying to me. But, you know, business is not meant to be easy, is it? But um, I don't know. I just It just doesn't feel... When Anthony was talking about this, I was like, ah, it just feels like another way of bullying. It's a big company bullying small companies. Uh, well, perhaps the other takeaway, of course, is, is, I mean, I always used to want to treat our suppliers uh, as well as our customers because they were our partners too. And yeah. that, for me, was a bit of an adage. And, and you know, it, it, it is always in your own interest for your suppliers to run healthy, profitable businesses because if they're not, then you can't get your supply anymore and then you have no business. So, you know, I've often said in, in particularly tough negotiations, I've said, look, you know, I've actually asked people and said, I want for you to be profitable. I do as a supplier, even if I'm driving a hard bargain, um, because it's not it's not in anyone's interests to to put a supplier out of business. So, yeah, a very useful one. And you want a highly motivated supplier, Absolutely. don't you? You want a highly motivated supplier. So, you know, during that negotiation process, if you think you're pushing somebody too hard, what kind of service do you think you're going to get from them? 
you know, so I always had that balance in mind that, yeah, we needed some cross compression. We needed a saving, but not to the point you still want that supplier to be highly motivated to, um, to, to provide a great service. So it's got to be balanced. So um, shall we move on, chaps, to our last item, which is something we've learned. Uh, and that's uh, over to you, I believe. Now, I think it is over to me. So my learn this week really is one that's always been in the back of my mind. and I'm constantly reminded of it. And it's, it's a truth, I think. You guys can tell me if it's a truth. But it's, it's that there are no silver bullets in this. And maybe what we've discussed above are two great examples, right? There's no one right answer. And certainly an experience that I've had, I think we may share over the years, is anyone who starts a business is just deluged with people who tell you they've got the answer. Everyone's got an answer, <laughs> right? Everyone's, oh, this is the answer for that. Usually it costs some money it does. as well. Yeah. And, um, and they have the answer. And very often those answers are sort of one size fits all. Do it like this and you will win. Do it like that and you will win um and i guess my experience has been and i submit it to your uh, to your your own experience to see if you've had a similar one is that there's no such thing there's no such thing as what is right what is right for this person over here may not be right for that person over there and particularly in a world that's moving so fast right now and and something i've often reflected on is you know in a world that has transformed like ours has just in the last few years, I mean, just in the past few months, you know, we've had uh, a global pandemic we never expected. You know, we've, we've had massive seismic economic changes. We're still struggling with the implications of Brexit in the UK. You know, all over the world, we've had digital technology just making businesses completely redundant overnight, you know, irrelevancies. Some of the biggest businesses in the world, you know, started you know when i was in my 20s it's it's insane at that speed at that pace you know can anyone be standing out there going i've got the answer to this business problem because next week it's going to be irrelevant surely um so it's an interesting question i just think how have you guys navigated that all the different answers that are out there all the different solutions and offers and uh things that are out there what do you look for in terms of people you work with to uh uh, to help you out. So, Anthony, perhaps any thoughts? The immediate thought is I always love the person that says, well, it's not going to give you this and it's not going to give you that. What it is going to give you is this, this and this. And that's what I really love is when I'm working with people who are looking to manage your expectation and align your expectation. Because, of course, to, to the overall point here is that there's so many salespeople out there. There are so many organizations that are in certain industries incredibly aggressive and I'll do this for you and I'll do that for you and I'll do this for you and I'll do that and promise you the world and offer you the silver bullet and as you get older and you become more experienced and you have more knowledge you understand that there's you know there's very very few silver bullets out there so I love the style of people going if you're looking for this it's not me but if you're looking for this and this then you've come to the right place but let me just make that clear so that, that's what I always love is, is when I hear somebody say that they've got me, I'm like, right, I'm really going to listen now. Um, because that's what life's about, right? That's what life's about is about compromise and understanding that, you know, you may want this whole thing, but actually I'm just going to be honest and truthful that 
If you're looking for this, I can give you these, these elements. You may have to go somewhere else. I'm gonna do a great job at this, but I can't do anything more for you. Um, so from my perspective, that's, that's where it sort of sits for me. I think as you get older, you learn that there aren't any silver bullets and you learn because you, you, you have bought off those people in the past that tell you they are, and you think it sounds, you're cynical, but you go for it because they're so convincing and then you, you get burnt, right? You, you realize there's, mm. you realize that, that it's just not there. Mm. So no silver bullets and no snake oil <laughs> either. What a shame. <laughs> no you know the founders i've met of businesses that they seem to always be looking for that thing right they're always looking for the edge they're looking for uh, you know what's what's a what's a great book you've read recently or help with this or what's a what a piece what piece of software are you doing what's you know what what are you doing here who do you know that could help me with this you know and, and we had that we had that network of founders through our involvement in, in the entrepreneurs organization and i think yeah there's a lot of people out there feeding on that going yeah oh you want to do that you want to do that you want to do that and it's very easy and i think it's the the skill is you know there are no magic bullets but there are a lot of things out there that can help and you know when you're when you have a you've you're focused on your own business you could it's very easy to operate in a silo and miss out on other ideas or things like that and i think you know there aren't i i agree with the statement there are no silver bullets but there are a lot of things that can help you along your way by being open to them and by listening to people you trust and who are to talk from experience and who uh, will help you along the way and share things not because they want something from you necessarily they want you to do well and i think that's that's my big learning from this is no there's no silver bullets but there's some there's some shiny things along the way that can help <laughs> does that make sense i love that no silver bullets but there are some shiny ones <laughs> Yeah, I, I, it always comes back to me. You've got to put, you've got to do the hard yards, right? If you've got a problem, you can't. You, yeah. you know, you, of course, you want to pick up the phone and, and ask someone, and then just tell you the answer. But you know, you've got to do the hard yards. You know, you've got to go and do your market mm -hmm. research. You know, you've got to speak to three or five different suppliers or different people about it. And that's where you'll get your balance. You, you'll then understand more. You've done your market research. You understand the pros and cons, and and that's when you can make a decision as to what you're going to do next. Um, it's a little bit boring, you know, and certainly when you're in the, you know, the st the early stages of setting up a business, you you just want it all and you want it now, don't you? Certainly, certainly that was my own experience. Um, so again, you know, I I suppose maybe it's just the. Uh, the week that's in it for me where I'm just reflecting on being, um, I was told I was very An old. old git. I was told I was very <laughs> old earlier. Um, <laughs> but it, you know, with that just comes experience and, and, and knowledge, but also patience, you know, to work through a work through a process and, and do the, the best karma, practice, yeah. the karma, Anthony and right. But, but slightly more cynical, yeah. shall I say <laughs> healthy cynicism. I like to think, but yes. <laughs> so, well, gentlemen, I think that, about takes us to time so i mean to wrap this up I, I guess what we're saying is take the emotion out but not all of it do your maths don't look for silver bullets but maybe find some shiny ones <laughs> I, it's very lovely <laughs> way to summarize uh this week's podcast so um that's it thank you very much indeed uh for listening and as ever an enormous thank you to alex moore goodbye and thanks for listening and a huge thank you to Anthony Enright. Thanks, Ben, and thank you to you too. 
No, thank you. Uh, so I've been Ben Thomas, we're Atomics, and this has been Founder Hacks. Thanks for listening.